we never tried to grow for the sake of growing, right? We don't want to do that. We don't want to get out over our skis. One of the things we're very proud of here is that we have been profitable since day one. We've never had a negative cash flow month. And so we've never just said, oh, we should grow regardless. We've always wanted to grow because it meant, if it meant doing better for our clients, serving them better, being able to offer more, and if it made sense financially. You know, we have known the people at Happy Cog for a long time. This is something that we've spoken with them for many years just about the industry and what's going on and what we're both seeing. And I would say it wasn't in our long-term plan necessarily to acquire another agency, but as we spoke more and more with them, it just started to make a lot more sense to combine the companies. From Bright Umbrella, this is Control ClickCast. We inspect the web for you. Today, Matt Weinberg and Stuart Henry joined the show to talk about Vector Media Group's recent acquisition of Happy Cog. I'm your host, Leah Alcantara, and I'm joined by my fab co-host, Emily Lewis. Before we get to today's episode, I wanted to remind our listeners about our Patreon. For just $5 a month, you can help us keep this podcast going. In return, you get access to our private Slack, where we chat with other listeners about our episodes. And if that's not your speed, we have lots of other rewards. You can pick what's best for you. Visit patreon.com slash control clickcast. Today, we are getting the details about Vector Media Group's recent acquisition of Happy Cog directly from Vector's Matt Weinberg and Stuart Henry. Matt is Vector's co-founder and partner who leads the development team, keeping them focused on reliability, speed, and stability in all projects. Stuart is also a partner of Vector, and he focuses on business development. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Matt. It's been a while since you've been on the show. Can you tell our listeners a bit more about yourself? Yeah. So as you mentioned, I am a co-founder of Vector. I run our development team. I've spoken at expression conferences and craft conferences, and I definitely know a lot about e-commerce and scaling and a whole bunch of the other stuff we work on here. And on a personal note, I live on Long Island with my wife and two kids. How about you, Stuart? Can you tell our listeners a bit more about yourself? Sure. Uh, I guess... Uh, most important, I'm known as the grandfather of the company because I'm by far the oldest person. <laughs> and uh, I have really enjoyed getting to know the digital media. My background goes way back, starting in the early 90s. When I've always been in media, it started in the in the radio industry. And um, you know, I had a fun prior career owning and operating a radio station out in Long Island, selling that back in uh, 2008, and then getting into the digital space. And then I was lucky enough to meet Matt and... Uh, and Lee here at Vector and hooked up with them as a partner. So uh, on a personal note, yeah, I also live on Long Island and I have a wife and three kids. Great. So let's just dive right into this. Why did you acquire Happy Cog in the first place? What were your business goals for the acquisition? So it's interesting that you have Stu and I, because I think we'd have slightly different takes on this, you know, complimentary takes. From a kind of development point of view, I think Happy Cog has a very, they have just a great team, a super skilled team. There's a lot of similarities to our team in terms of what kinds of technologies they use, what kinds of processes they use. It just felt like a really good fit. They also have some great clients that I think on a development side and certainly the design side and marketing services side, I think we could add a lot of value to. I also just, I know some of the people that work there. They're all extremely talented. I've always wanted a chance to work with them. So Stuart, how about the business side? What were the business goals? I think it was it was really just a very much just the impression of getting involved. It almost was a no brain when Matt brought the idea to me. It was not something that took a lot of 
it required a lot of thought. It was if we could take the, you know, somehow get involved with them and leverage that reputation and just, there's so much we could do with it. And that's really the idea. And it's in the, really what is now just over a month that we've, since we've acquired them, it's already proven to be a very effective approach. Whereas it's got such a great name recognition and, and brand and reputation that it's, it's from a business perspective, it's helped a lot with not only existing vector clients, but also just perspective leads, whether they come to us through Vector or now coming through Happy Cog. It, it's been very demonstrative to me that that Happy Cog name has so much weight um, mm. with people that come to us about the possibility of us working with them in some capacity. So was there something in terms of Vector's business plan that kind of put you in this idea of expanding in this direction? Matt, you mentioned that Happy Cog was you know, a group of people that you'd always really wanted an opportunity to work with, but were you in a, I guess, a growth mode at Vector and this was one way to grow? Yeah. I mean, we, we never tried to grow for the sake of growing, right? We, we don't mm-hmm. want to do that. We don't want to get out over our skis. One of the things we're very proud of here is that we have been profitable since day one. We've never had a negative cash flow month. And so we've never, we've never just said, oh, we should grow regardless. We've always wanted to grow because it meant, if it meant doing better for our clients, serving them better, being able to offer more, and if it made sense financially. You know, we have known the people at Happy Cog for a long time. This is something that we've spoken with them for many years. It's about the industry and what's going on and what we're both seeing. And I would say it wasn't in our long-term plan necessarily to acquire another agency. But as we spoke more and more with them, it just started to make a lot more sense to combine the companies. So I'm really curious about those conversations about the industry. Uh So what was it that you discussed? Was there something about the way our industry is moving toward or trending or even the economy that prompted these talks to turn serious? I don't know if... Leah, it wasn't really that for, we didn't have much time. It wasn't that well that well thought out, number one, because maybe it was not the type of people that really think things through that well. But, uh, I think more importantly, it just happened so fast. I think it was just, again, I kind of go back to my statement earlier that it was, it was somewhat of a no-brainer when the notion was even presented to us because there are a lot of similarities, but there's a lot of compliments to be had as well. We really see this more as a merger than an acquisition. The, you mm-hmm. know, technically it was an acquisition, but we're merging the two team. We're merging the, the all the skill sets. And so I think it was more of just filling in some gaps on both sides of the uh, equation. Happy Cog has always been known as very forward thinking, you know, strategic type agency, whereas Vector is very strong on the development and execution side. So that was just like the obvious marriage and the benefit of, of the marriage between the two. So that's really what, what drove it in, in essence. It was number one, something that you just touched on a second ago was that, yeah, it immediately opened up bandwidth, which is something that we're always needing to do. We're always trying to scale up to meet demand and this was a nice quick way to add some fantastic team members for you know purposes of bandwidth but also the skill set that again they have this very strategic approach toward things that we that vector necessarily was never known for the way happy cog was known for it so mm-hmm. uh, that th- those were really the two main drivers on why this seemed like a really terrific merger or acquisition so that's really interesting how you i'm actually a little surprised that you said it was quick so our patron, Mike Rogers, wanted us to ask you, like, how long did the entire process take from beginning to end, like from the initial conversation to final signing? Ooh, my guess is it was probably it was probably about 30 or 40 days from first oh, wow. to the closing. Yeah, we moved fast and furiously. Wow. Yeah, it's exactly the time frame I was going to say as well. I mean, we the deal was signed as of November 1st. I think we started conversations, you know, mid-September or something. So 
Wow, that that is quick. Was there anything that prompted that particular speed or was it just right time, right place? Nothing really that was drop dead that had to be, it had to be done. We always targeted Halloween for no other reason than just the cleanliness of the bookkeeping. Um, Mm -hmm. So that was really our target and we were able to get it done. It was not easy and it was pretty hectic those last couple of days. But I think it was just the fact that it was just the way it was set up and the the very initial discussions seemed like we were all on the same page that it just lent itself to a very expeditious process. Both parties, extremely reasonable. I think we're both really getting what we really felt like we wanted. And so it just just made it very amicable and very easy, the whole process. So we're lucky. I mean, we set out to do it quickly. You know, it's it's not something that you expect to achieve when you set out to do something like that, but we happen to, to achieve it here. So Matt, another question Mike Rogers had, I'm also curious, especially since the process from beginning to end was so quick, how did the initial conversations even start? Was it just a casual networking thing and something evolved or did your team or someone from Happy Cog's team reach out with this as the intention of the conversation? Yeah, I mean, it's, it wasn't like that. As I said, we have known their team for a long time. We've known Greg, the principal over there for a long time and, and other people that have worked there. So I, I think what you see here is just conversations about the industry. And I, I mentioned this before, like, you know, what are we seeing? Like, oh, we think we see bigger clients wanting like more full service agencies or wanting companies that can provide more value to them. We saw that together. And I think somehow those conversations kind of naturally turned into, well, you know, maybe it makes sense to work together on this. Mm -hmm. You know, if we're seeing that, if we're seeing that our clients are asking for more services, if we're seeing that we're competing against larger, more full service agencies when bids, then maybe it, it makes sense to combine here and be that agency together. So that was really how it organically panned out. And then once we started being serious about that conversation, as Stu said, it moved very quickly. So this idea of clients wanting to work with a single agency that kind of can handle all of their needs, is that something you're seeing across the industry or is it with only different types of either maybe the size of the client or size of the project? Or is it kind of across the board in the web or digital? Sure. Yeah, I'll take this because I speak to a lot of prospects. It's so interesting and, and I'll try to keep it brief. But if you went back, you know, f- say four or five years ago, when we didn't have design here at Vector, we were primarily, we were really just a development and digital marketing shop. Sincerely, we went out and we saw that trend where, where prospects and clients would tell us that they, they want to work with this design agency and then work with Vector for Development. They want the best mm. of both, which was great. It fed into our business model and it was terrific because we networked with a lot of design agencies and and, and uh, it was very fruitful for all of us. And then we brought on design here at Vector just uh, over four years ago and um, I've been building that up. And I honestly see a trend in the last year where the clients now seem to want everything under one shop. But my, what I, and this is purely theoretical, but what my takeaway from it is that I really feel like whether it's clients or prospects we and I'm sure you guys hear the same thing I'll often hear clients that had a bad experience whether in the immediate past vendor or a couple vendors ago whatever may be the case and I feel like clients are starting to lose faith that most agencies are reputable and and reliable and and good to work with so I I almost feel like because of that they they find one that they really trust and know that they Mm -hmm. can rely on and enjoy working with 
they want to kind of hedge their bet and put everything with that just one agency versus taking the chance of working with two different agencies and one of them not being quite as reliable. So that's what I, it's completely, again, I've no, I've no, no way to substantiate that at all, but it's, it's just kind of something that I feel is what's driving that. But it is absolutely a trend that prospects and clients I'm speaking to now, you know, lately, they absolutely want, they're using the terms like one-stop shop and, you know, everything under one roof and that kind of thing. So it's interesting. I was just going to add, you know, I don't see as much of it as Stu does because Stu mentioned he runs, you know, business development here and he speaks to certainly a lot of prospects. Part of that might be the kinds of clients we're talking to also. You know, Mm -hmm. if you go back five, six, seven years ago, we were doing much smaller projects. So just from my point of view on the dev side, you know, after we sign a project and it's kind of handed over on the dev side, we're doing much bigger projects. And so maybe there's like a relationship there between the kinds of companies that have bigger projects and the kind of companies that want that. I'm not sure, but we definitely, on all of our sides of our business, we always try to and make sure our clients understand what other services we offer. I know, Stuart, you said you don't have any like hard data about this. This is just something you're sensing. Do you have any feelings about whether this could continue if that maybe it limits opportunities for specialty shops or will there still be room for those? That's a great question. I guess I just would say that that Matt's statement is very valid where it might very much be that we're going, that we're dealing with larger clients today than we were five years ago. So that might be leading into that. And and I guess also that another factor I think feeds into the, the one-stop shop trend is that clients are looking for much more strategy in their mm-hmm. solutions, not not just a steadfast solution. Whereas, you know, five, six years ago, people were coming to us for an expression engine build or lately for a craft build or things like that. So I think people, because there's so, because technology has advanced so much and there's so many different types of solutions and so many different integrations and things that you can do that you really weren't open, that weren't open to a, a client six or seven years ago. I think that they're looking for a shop that's going to be much more strategic, that it would benefit them to, to work with some Someone that has both design skills and 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 development, but I guess to your to your question, um, I don't think so. I think that those specialty shops will always have a place for clients, and I, I'm not necessarily driven by by size, just by needs. I mean, it could be a large company that has a UX designer on staff, but they want to work with a designer for more just production and, and just visual design and that kind of thing. Or I think people are always going to look for the right development shops that specialize in a particular platform. So I think that there's definitely going to be plenty of room for, mm-hmm. for both. Do you feel like these specialty shops or s- smaller agencies that you know have a niche, should they be thinking about their businesses differently? Maybe if not kind of going full service, but adding a more strategic bent to how they sell and how they approach projects? In my opinion, no. I don't think that they should think about altering things if it doesn't just happen naturally because I've seen mm-hmm. a lot of agencies both on the digital side and the traditional media side go under because they've tried they try to do something that they just were not equipped to to do or they just overextend themselves and it just comes back to haunt them. So absolutely if it if things just fall in the right place and they're able to expand their services by all means. Uh, it, should, it could benefit people, but you have to be very, very careful because that could be a turning point for an agency that could easily go the wrong way if they really try to overextend themselves. So we're talking a lot about you know, well, speculation, and I know it's still quite early in the acquisition, but how is Happy Cogs and your customers responding to the acquisition slash merger? So I again, I think you'll get an interesting double perspective here because I think you know, I'm I'm kind of dealing with some of the existing clients more and tra- transitioning them. What's uh, Stu is definitely helping with that, but I think also has a bigger insight onto the like the new clients or prospects. 
I would say that so far existing clients are happy. You know, we are bigger, Vector had been a bigger company than Happy Cog. I think that a lot of Happy Cog's clients are very happy with their work and to hear that there will now be more resources available to them mm-hmm. um, with, you know, different skill sets or literally just more people and the ability to move more quickly. I think they're pretty happy about that. Honestly, I, we, of, of course, I mean, they're, we want to make sure that we're not going to ruin the good stuff. And I, and we've worked really hard to make sure they understand we're not going to do that. We're not going to break anything. I'm, we're not going to break anything that's working, but uh, they're really pleased so far with the ability to, to have more, to do more, just kind of hear what other services we could bring to them. Yeah, I, I would totally agree with that. And I would stress that point just by even making differentiation between happy cod clients well, factory clients weren't concerned. They were kind of, they were excited. They were celebratory. They're like, oh, that's great. Congratulations. Because I, I think they knew the size of our team and they, they knew it really wouldn't impact them per se. The Happy Cog clients, because they are with Happy Cog, because they are Happy Cog, most of them did show concern. They said, hmm, they wanted to get to know us. They said, okay, they were a little, you know, a little suspicious, like, well, we want to get to know Vector before we kind of move on. And, and, and we did. And, and we have a great story to tell. And it's all legit. And, you know, we, it's, this is really expanding the abilities to those clients. And they're going to continue. And we're keeping the Appicog team intact. So everything's a, a win-win for everyone. And just, it's really more, it's just a benefit and nothing else to those clients. So everything has worked out. And we're through, the, you know, through all that already. And, and all there, we didn't lose any of their clients. They're all very happy. And we're moving on and, and, and expanding services for many of them. So that, that's a great thing the one really interesting thing that that matt probably hasn't been exposed to as much as i have is, is dealing is speaking of prospects especially when the prospect is coming to happy cog for happy cog so all of a sudden now they're hearing from from me and we want to be transparent we don't want to pretend like we're happy cog the one you know and there's no vector so we have to figure out a way to explain to them the situation and it's it, i was very very pleasantly surprised that it's been well received by every prospect that i've had to have that conversation with because they get it it's such a natural story and there's no we don't have to bend and manipulate any part of the story because it's all completely on the up and up that this is really just a really perfect marriage um, that they're going to get exactly what they were coming to Happy Cog for. But if it's a big, like a couple of large prospects that came to Happy Cog since we acquired it are large companies that Happy Cog in, in their prior version, maybe not, would not have been able to fulfill all their needs, possibly on the development side, or may at least meet their timeline and things like that. So now with the strength of the, of the two companies together, we do have that ability um, or even open up their, the skill set of, you know, maybe there are certain types of platforms or functionalities that, or the integrations that Vector has a lot, a lot of experience doing because of the size of Vector versus Happy Cog that will benefit them as well. So it's been amazing how well received it's been on the prospect side, which was always a bit of a concern for prospects that were coming to Happy Cog for Happy Cog. So I'm curious with the nuance that you guys have known each other for a long time and that you said in the past that you guys had, you know, were just mostly dev and marketing, and then there was separate design shops. So obviously, you had a lot of agency partnerships. Why didn't you just continue and formalize an agency partnership where you guys are still separate entities versus, say, the acquisition, which is what you guys ended up doing? I think if you're talking about like an agency partnership, I think that can work well when agencies have different core skill sets. So, you know, Happy Cog did not offer marketing services like SEO and PPC, or, or maybe they did, but it's not quite as big a team as we did. So, like, you could imagine someone like Happy Cog, they do development design strategy, then partnering with a marketing firm. And, you know, marketing firm kind of sends design development business to, to Happy Cog, and Happy Cog sends it the other way. But 
With Vector and Happy Cog, you actually have a lot of overlapping services. Mm-hmm. So like, as I said, our design teams are very similar. Our development teams are very similar. And so you start to get into a question, like at what point would we, in an agency partnership, or what point would we ever even send Happy Cog right. business if they were a separate company? That would be business we'd probably want for ourselves. So when you have like such overlapping and similar services, to me, it doesn't feel like as good an opportunity for partnership unless you're, or for, I would say for a referral partnership, unless like maybe the size of your clients or similar are like so different that it just, it's obvious. But in this case, there were so many similarities that it made more sense to combine as one company. Stuart, I wanted to take a step back and ask you to give me a little more detail on something you touched on earlier where initially some of Happy Cog's customers had some reservations and wanted to get to know Vector. And you said that it was a relatively you know, simple process to tell the story, but can you go into that a little bit more? I mean, did you have like a, a marketing plan or a script or were they just talking to you? Were they talking to multiple people? Was it coming to your offices? What did that look like to kind of reassure them of the kind of company that they would be working with moving forward would still be the, the culture from Happy Cog that they'd grown to appreciate? Yeah, so I think the most important thing that we did was certainly before we firmed up the acquisition with Greg for Happy Cog, we made sure that the his team was going to be part of it. We spoke to all the individual team members, had you know worked out deals for them to stay on board as far as compensation benefits, everything. So all that, and then we had, they they signed agreements, the whole thing. So we had all that in place because we knew that was an absolute uh, must, uh, and that's that was a huge part of the value of the acquisition mm-hmm. as well. It was there were two main elements. It's the it's the brand and reputation of Happy Cog, but obviously this extremely skilled team that have been amazing to work with, and they 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 have it's amazing how well they fit in with the Vector team already. So having that in place, as soon as we started speaking to Happy Cog clients, and and by the way, Greg was very instrumental and still is in helping us transition and, and meet these clients. The first thing was that we had we made a note to them that the people that they've been working with, the team members they've been working with Happy Cog, they're going to continue to work with them. So mm-hmm. there's no changes there. If you need additional services, if you want to talk about digital marketing that Vector does very well at that Happy Cog didn't do, we'd have, be happy to talk. If you need expanded development you know, services and uh, you know, Happy Cog team doesn't have the bandwidth. We have an exceptional team at Vector. So the comfort was very, it took a big leap right from the get-go when they realized that they're going to continue to work with the same people. The other thing that we introduced to the clients was just Vector's processes, tools that we use. There are certain processes that we use with project management, and they, that seemed very well-received. Not that Happy Cog didn't have great processes in place. I think the things that Vector did were a little bit more I'll say advanced, but that's probably the wrong word. It's just, I think we're, we've got a very tried and true project management process that works exceptionally well for all parties involved. So as we started explaining some of those processes to the uh, Happy Cog clients and we've started transitioning them into those processes, it's been a very happy moment and discovery for those clients to learn what they will expect going forward. So the short answer to the question was simply that they've been continuing to work with the same people that they've been accustomed to work with. You know, I can't believe this didn't occur to me sooner, but I'm curious, and I looked through your blog post or press release on the website, is Happy Cog still staying Happy Cog and it's like a a division of Vector or will it eventually all become Vector Media Group in terms of name and brand? So, you know, we haven't made any like formal decisions yet, as you, as we said, like this was a very quick acquisition and process, but I think in general, we feel it would be stupid for us to buy have bought happy cog 
for a reason that has such a great brand and reputation and everything and then get rid of their name mm-hmm. that would have been to us that would seem like a big blunder and we have a tremendous amount of respect for the brand so i think you know the brand is definitely going to live on what that means we haven't exactly figured it out yet you know does that mean we operate two brands or something else you know, we don't know. I'm just being honest. We don't know. But yeah, we're not going to get rid of the Happy Cow brand. There's just too much history there. There's too much meaning. It's meaningful for all the people here and, and for them as well. Mm-hmm. I guess just to stress that point, Emily, is that we part of the acquisition was that we now own the trademark Happy Cog. So mm-hmm. that gives you a little hint or it stresses the fact that, yeah, we certainly plan on that's going to be. a. And you know what? Honestly, it was very important to Greg Hoy as well. That yeah. Happy Cog brand was going to going to survive. Yeah. And we're more than happy to oblige. I mean, so far, everything is rainbows and happiness. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure it wasn't as smooth as it sounds. What have been the business challenges with an acquisition? And do you anticipate any particular other challenges to tackle in the future? Well, like I said, I've been around a lot longer than probably anybody listening. So I've been through a lot of different acquisitions. And this was amazingly easy. Honestly, the biggest challenge that I recall, and Matt might have something different that he recalls, but it was really just uh, getting all of the all the details and materials required as far as having to sort through all the contract service orders and, you know, employment agreements. All that was very cumbersome in the time that we had allotted for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, I thought the transition for the not only the team, but also the clients was going to be a lot more cumbersome, but it's been incredibly easy so much that like really after a couple of weeks after the acquisition, it was almost like we were through it. And I thought it was going to be a months long ordeal, but I haven't really had to deal with any of that in the past few weeks, which has been an absolute blessing that I, I was not expecting at all. So if I had an answer to lay, I would definitely <laughs> give you all that. <laughs> I don't remember, remember any really major challenges um, that weren't anticipated as far as going forward. Um, I think the biggest challenge we're facing is really that making a tough decision as far as what the uh, collective brand is going to be mm. and then what, what the messaging is going to be around that. I would just add that, you know, one of the pain points, and this is nobody's fault, it's just the nature of this, is that there's a lot of duplication of like systems, even just SaaS apps, right. you know, like like we pay for Basecamp, they pay for Basecamp, we pay for GitHub, they pay for GitHub, there's Slack Harvest, but we use Jira, like this is not, you know, anybody's fault, but there's like a lot of systems that we need to create logins for and move data over for and have processes change. And we want to make sure we're not double paying for things. We want to combine like the, the one password vaults, just like all of these things. And it, would, it sounds ridiculous for me to say that, but you know, I mean, as an agency, how many SaaS services do we have? Like 50, right. 60, <laughs> I mean, a lot, you know? And so we obviously have a way of onboarding like new employees but this is a little bit different because these are new employees that we're also bringing on board with a whole bunch of their historical data. And uh, we also don't want to break things to their existing clients at this time. So it's, it, yeah, I would say that's like a big, that's just been a big kind of pain. Nobody's fault. And everyone at Happy Cog has been super amazing about helping to kind of transition to vector systems. Is that something, Matt, that you knew you were going to deal with, so you had a plan for, or is it one of those things where you kind of need to see what the situation is before you devise how to handle it? Yeah, it's a little bit of a both. I mean, prior to the acquisition closing, we had made a joint list of all the software that they pay for because we needed to take over those obligations. And it's just funny because you kind of look at that and you say, oh, yeah, it's fine, no problem. We'll just kind of add them to our Slack and we'll add them to our GitHub. But it's actually more complex than that. Like, 
we don't want to be operating through Slack, but their Slack has all the history. So we had to, you know, export some history, but you know, you're not going to export like private message history, just like room history, you know, it's just like, and it's fine. It didn't take that long, but you have that process times 50, you know, right. and, and like different apps. So that's been kind of a pain, which we anticipated, but maybe didn't quite anticipate to this level. In some cases, even now, I mean, it's only been six weeks, five weeks, whatever. In some cases, we just said, okay, we'll just like double pay for this for another month because like, we can't deal with it all right now or something. Mm-hmm. So, Stuart, I know you said that there wasn't anything that stood out to you as a particular challenge and you were kind of pleasantly surprised. But given, you know, your experience, especially dealing with acquisitions, could you kind of on a high level share what sort of things could go wrong with an acquisition? Not that it happened with this one, but things that you've seen happen when two companies come together? Sure. I guess one quick thing about prior question that Matt answered, it's so funny because it's like if anyone's listening and they're trying to figure out what they want their career to be, on the, when you're on the biz dev side, you don't have to worry about anything about all those systems. I didn't even know they existed, so it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> I, guess that's why I, was, I guess that's why I didn't have any issues. with. It was all great for me. I just, it was Once the deal was done, it was super easy. I guess Matt's the one that had all the heavy lifting, but um, <laughs> it's either that or he just likes to complain. I'm not sure which one it is. but um, Yeah, I mean... It's, I guess the answer is really obvious, just two sides not being able to come to an agreement. And again, it's, I've, I've been through a lot of acquisitions in my career, both large and small. I told Matt this a long time ago, and I've probably told him a couple of times since. Every acquisition I've ever been, any substantial acquisition I've ever been involved with, one of the parties always had to walk away from the table before it actually got done. And this time, it just did not happen. And me just being conditioned to expect that, I was waiting for that moment that, Either Greg was going to walk away or we were going to walk away just to get it done. You know what I mean? Because there's, there's two parties just butting heads. That didn't happen here. Um, but in a tradition, a typical acquisition like this, it really is just being able to, to come to terms. But then also just not really being, having it in this particular case, I guess I'll stick to this because you know, otherwise my answer is going to be completely obvious. In this particular case, my, my biggest concern was we were not going to get what we were being promised because we did not have to do the proper due diligence. We just didn't have the time. We we're fine with that. That was, an, that was a choice that we made, but we were also taking that risk that what we were expecting to get out of this acquisition, we were not going to get. But that certainly has not seemed to be the case whatsoever. But that's a lot of the time a big, you know, something that can come up when um, you're dealing with parties, an acquisition with two parties that are just not seen eye to eye in terms of what, how much information they really expect to be during that due diligence period, how much they should really be exposed to, how much they should have access to, whether should they, they should be allowed to speak to clients or whether they should mm-hmm. be allowed to speak to team members. That's generally not the case. Generally, they're not allowed to do that kind of thing. In this case, everything was so open that we were able to do that. Um, so it made it very easy. But yeah, I mean, that's probably the biggest pitfall that you'll see in an acquisition like this when when it just won't, two parties just cannot come to terms because they are just, there's too much unknown and one party is just not willing to take that risk with the other. Right. And can you talk a little bit more about that due diligence, like in a quote, regular type of acquisition that's uh, like more traditionally slower? What is involved in due diligence? Like what kind of information would you need to gather? Oh, it goes, it can go as deep as you want, but it would certainly go a lot deeper than we went with this time. And we, we, so, I mean, it could go into just credit reports from, you know, on us that he would you know, have on us as far as, you know, just making sure that we're good for, you know, whatever the purchase price is. But on, on our side, we could have went deep into just anything legal that had happened among Happy Cog in the last 10 years or, you know, certainly going deep into any sort of not necessarily 
client agreements, although we could have gone deep in it. We really went, we just really focused on existing client agreements as far as existing clients, but there's so many partnership agreements and it's endless that we could have gone into, you know, know, as far as software licenses, things like that. That's typical what a company would do. And that could take months to really sort through all that, just to make sure that you're not obligated to anything that you don't want to be obligated to. Another, I guess, one nice thing about this particular arrangement, the way we structured it, was what you would call an asset purchase agreement. So, what, so we weren't buying the uh, the company per se; it was really just buying the assets um, that happened to include the trademark and things like that. So, it was easy that we could limit it to just an asset purchase agreement versus taking on all kinds of obligations by purchasing the, the entire corporation. And is that due diligence process is that typically handled by lawyers, or is it lawyers in conjunction with? the partners, or is it strictly kind of a biz dev situation that would primarily be on someone who's doing a role like you have, Stuart? In an ordinary situation, it would be mostly lawyers, but this was not an ordinary situation. So this, in this particular case, and, and that's really just because of so many different contracts and agreements to read through. And then there's also all those types of warranties and representations that will, that are generally made in an agreement like this that we didn't get into that. We didn't get deep into the weeds on that for this particular acquisition, but generally you would. And the lawyers would draft all that based on what they see in all these various agreements that, that, you know, Happy Cog might be bound to. But um, in this particular case, it was really just limited to really the partners. There were lawyers involved, but it was really mostly about Matt worked extremely hard on, on speaking with all the team members at Happy Cog and working with them to secure them so that they would be excited about coming over. And then we, then I was really taking the lead on on going through all the SOWs, the existing SOWs, the ones that we'd be inheriting to make sure that that really be able to determine what the values we're getting out of it and also, you know, what we would need to fulfill those SOWs and, and just to make sure there's no nothing in there that would be um, any cause any kind of issues, uh, which there wasn't. Um, I think the other, as far as the lawyers are concerned and, and the really the, the biggest part of what they impacted was really the transfer of those SOWs. Some required the consent of the client, some didn't. You know, we started, we worked pretty hard to get the consent of those of those existing clients to transfer those contracts over to Vector. But like I said earlier, that was really like the biggest, most cumbersome thing to me during this process. Matt, um, Stuart mentioned that you were doing a lot of work to get Happy Cogs people excited about the move. Can you talk a little bit about that? You know, how this has impacted Vector staff as well as Happy Cog staff? Sure. You know, just to clarify, I think everyone is really excited. I think their team's excited, our team's excited. You know, so it's just a question of uncertainty. I think, like, it was a question of uncertainty. You know, anybody that's in that position, if you're working at Happy Cog and you're in that position and you kind of know something's going on and you're not exactly sure and we've spoken to them, like, I think naturally you're going to just be nervous. I'd also been hearing from our office manager here at Vector, you know, at her previous job, she was on the other side. At her previous job, she had been at the company getting acquired and she had kind of told me that, you know, everybody was super nervous at that time. They, They just don't know. So I think we, this is all of us, you know, Stu, me, Lee, Nick, all the partners here, and, and certainly Maggie, our office manager, banner director of technology, we spent a lot of time making sure they understood ahead of time, you know, what our processes are like, what our expectations were, why we were doing this, how we treat our employees, those kinds of things, just to help make them not worried. So, I mean, and, and since then, I think it's been great. You know, I think that, again, it's only been five weeks. So... I think people are right now still kind of working on similar projects the way they were to what they were, but we're already starting to mix up the teams a little bit, mix up the projects a little bit. We would love the Vector staff to work on some Happy Cog projects, some Happy Hook staff to work on some Vector projects. 
uh, you know, just basically get it to a point where we're treating it like one big team. Yeah, I think one other thing, and Leah and Emily, you know this as already, but it's we work in a pretty small industry. Everyone knows each other. So most of the Happy Cock team knew of Vector and actually were, I, I like to think at least that they were really excited about joining us before we even had to get them excited. So I think I like to believe that, that it kind of happened just on their own, based on our own reputation and, and what they knew about us. Mm-hmm. And hopefully there's no regrets <laughs> five weeks into it. So were there any more formalized processes? Because it sounds like there's just like a lot of discussions, but with onboarding a whole new team from a, a totally different company, did you have to have a different manual? Did you have to have different process to do that? Different materials? Especially like when, again, I think about like 40 days, how do you do this? I guess logistically, Happy Cog is now under the umbrella of Vector Media Group as a corporation. You know, there's, so there's still two, there's still Vector and then there's still Happy Cog, which is DBA of, of Vector. So that made it a lot easier for us to just, the team just rolled into being now employees of Vector and that made it super easy because we had all that, the handbook and all the, you know, employment agreements and all that good stuff in place, uh, insurance, all that stuff. So so logistically that made it much easier because, you know, it's very similar to clients that, that just simply, they their service orders or SOWs were just tra- assigned to Vector. So logistically, it it made it very easy in that manner. Wow. It really seems like you guys lucked out. I mean, I think it's a great acquisition in terms of two really strong, well-renowned brands in our industry, but it just sounds like the behind the scenes was as smooth as it could get. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really due to Greg on the Epitech side, to Stu on this side, Lee Nick. I mean, just it took a lot of, it was smooth because a lot of people did a lot of hard work. You know, that's what makes these kinds of things. So then for companies that are thinking of doing something similar, since especially this sounds like a really great acquisition, any advice for those companies that want to join forces like this? I would say just we benefited from knowing Happy Cog for a long time. We knew what we were getting into. I think people often make mistakes. They're too hasty for things. I know it sounds ridiculous because we're saying, don't be too hasty, but we closed this whole deal in 40 days. But <laughs> but you've known Happy Cog for years. Exactly, exactly. This was the product of many conversations that weren't necessarily acquisition conversations. It was just broader conversations. So I think it's important for people not to jump into things too hastily because it's hard to get out of things, <laughs> you know, sometimes. I mean, when you buy an agency, what you're buying are really people, clients, and brand. That's what an agency is, right? It's people, it's clients, and it's brand. And you could say skills, but the skill sets are part of the people. Mm-hmm. And so those are the things you have to understand. And very, you know, it's very easy to figure out what their current clients are worth and, and what that revenue is like. I think it's a lot harder to put a price on the brand and the people. And so that those are the kinds of things you have to think about when you figure out what that kind of transaction is worth to you. And there are comparisons out there that you can do with big agencies and all of that. But I don't think that's quite as helpful when you're dealing with more like a private transaction like this. And from my perspective, I, I, this is, there, were, there were probably four or five key factors that led to why this was such a, an easy and expeditious process. It was, they all just fed and, and were there in place. That it was almost like a perfect storm that made this such an easy transaction. So it's, yeah, when you talk about being lucky and just fortunate and everything just working out exactly as, as it needed to to make it easy, it was very rare that that would happen. At the same time, it's a very unique acquisition, I think, because generally, I know you see the big conglomerates in the agency world you know, gobbling up some of the medium and smaller agencies, but that's generally 
like the WPPs and the mm-hmm. JWTs that are buying up like a great digital agency because they, they're expanding services that they already have or maybe expanding expertise that they don't already have. This was unique and rare because they, these were Vector and Happy Guy were two agencies that were extraordinarily similar in the services and expertise. It was just there was still this these things based on you know this the brand reputation versus the execution and bandwidth and things like that on the Vector side. So it's uncommon that you'd have two agencies that are so similar and kind of merge or that be or be acquired. Maybe they might merge. But not to be acquired. Generally, it's an acquisition is really just to expand your services and your offerings, which is not really the case here. So again, it was a little bit of like that perfect storm that made it appealing to both sides and made it such an easy transaction. So when you talk about advice, my advice would certainly be don't ever force anything. Don't feel like, hey, you know, did you see what happened with Vector acquiring Happy Guy? We should think about acquiring another agency and force something like that because it's not that, that, again, that could really backfire significantly. It's just something like this was so, there were so many factors at play that were all just feeding into it. It was almost like a no brainer to do this. Fascinating. Interesting. Very cool. This was a really interesting conversation, but that's all the time we have for today. But before we finish up, we've got our rapid fire 10 questions so our listeners can get to know you both a bit better. And these are our new questions for 2019 including those our patrons voted for. So we'll ask you both the same question, starting with Matt. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, first question. Would you rather travel to the future or the past? Future. Stuart? Past. All right, Matt, what's the scariest thing you've ever done? Um, <laughs> by happy cock. how about you Stuart partnered with Matt Weinberg (laughs) who was your childhood celebrity crush Matt oh my god so (laughs) I was like a big Star Trek fan (laughs) and so (laughs) I won't go into more detail but they're like Plenty of crushes I had across different, like, Star Trek universes. <laughs> That's amazing. Stuart, who was your childhood celebrity crush? To me more, because I was a teenager in the 80s. <laughs> so what's one of your pet peeves, Matt? I really hate when people don't follow up on things they say they're going to do. Mm. I think it's fine if you, you know, for people to say they're too busy for something or they're not going to get to it. Like, just be honest, that's fine. But when people say they're going to do something and then I have to remind them, that's just, I, it annoys me to no end. All right, Stuart, one of your pet peeves. When I am walking through New York City trying to get somewhere in a timely manner and there's three or four people blocking the sidewalk, they're all looking at <laughs> so their phones, reading something on their phones, <laughs> going way too slow because they're staring at their phones and they're blocking the whole sidewalk. It makes me furious. Hilarious. All right, Matt, what was your first website that you worked on? So actually, you know, I, I'm a co-founder of Vector and me and Lee founded it when we were in, I don't know, seventh grade, eighth grade, something like that. So it was our own website. We had Aww. a prior name at the time. I mean, it's going back many, many, many years, but I used that to learn very early JavaScript and HTML. At the time, we used frames, not iframes, like legit frames. So <laughs> that was the first site. Stuart, I know you have a different background, but have you ever worked on a website or what was the first digital product you acquired? Yeah, well, I'll go to the website answer. It's because it, as I, I so I owned that radio station from '95 to 2008, and I think it was probably '97 or '98, where it was websites were just coming around, as far as I understood. And a couple of radio stations had websites, and I'm like, well, I guess we need one too. And I, we built one, I think, and I could sound really 
dumb here, but I think it was front page. <laughs> yeah, yeah, front page. Yeah, uh, I remember something like that, and I actually, I think I've shown, I think I've shown it to Matt before um, using <laughs> the uh, whatever that tool is that you can go back and see old websites, and I'm sure you guys know the name of it. But so, Matt, what is your favorite time of the day? At night, when I get home, I get to see my kids, and they, Aww. you know, I, get, I open the door. They're still young enough that I open the door, and they like run to me, you know, Aww. "Daddy, Daddy." Aww. I don't think it's gonna last that much longer, but I'll, <laughs> I'll take it for now. Stuart, you? Yeah, I mean, I guess to reinforce that theory, Matt, uh, my favorite part of the day is when I leave in the morning to go to work and don't have to see my kids for nine hours. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt, what is your favorite place? Um, New York City. Stuart, same question. Oh, probably Denver, Colorado. Hmm. What's your favorite emoji, Matt? The thumbs up. It's like it says everything. I use it hundreds of times a day. I even have a keyboard shortcut for it. <laughs> I, I just use it constantly. It's like to me, I previously had, when I said something sounded good to me, I used to reply to people with SGTM, like sounds good to me, just SGTM. <laughs> and the, the thumbs up emoji is like that, but even quicker. So I, I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> Stuart, same question. Uh, what's an emoji? <laughs> All right, Matt, what's your favorite charity? So I spend a lot of time uh, donating to and volunteering for this charity that helps formerly incarcerated people uh, start their own like small businesses very cool. uh, when they get out. A lot of them are actually very good business people. They're not trying to like create a Facebook or something. They're just trying to, you know, make money and support themselves. So I, I really think that's a good cause. And I like that. You want to give them a name drop? <laughs> sure. Defy Ventures, D-E-F-Y Ventures. Very cool. Your favorite charity, Stuart? Yeah, hands down. It's Make-A-Wish Foundation. I've been involved with them for a long time. And it's just knowing them. And it's a, I know it's a huge charity, but all but guarantee that everything they do is on the up and up. And it's all with the best interest of the, of the recipients in mind. And when they, I go to that annual gal every year and it's every year, it's a complete tearjerker and it makes you mm-hmm. just want to continue for life doing whatever it is you can do to support the charity. All right, Matt, last question. Sweet or savory? Uh, savory. Stuart? Yeah, savory. <laughs> Very cool. So that's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining the show, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. We really appreciate it. In case our listeners wanted to follow up with you, where can they find you online, Matt? So Vector's website is vectormediagroup.com. HappyCog is happycog.com. And I'm on Twitter. It's just MRW. MRW on Twitter. And you, Stuart, if someone wanted to follow up with you directly? (laughs) I guess email is the best place. uh, And it's Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T, at either happycog.com or vectormediagroup.com. Thanks again, gentlemen. This was a really interesting conversation, and I think our listeners are going to love this one. You bet. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks. Control Click is produced by Bright Umbrella, a web services agency obsessed with happy clients. We'd like to thank our hosting partner, Architect, as well as our listeners. And a special shout out to longtime listener and our View Network patron, Mike Rogers. If you want to know more about Control Click, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ControlClickCast or visit our website, ControlClickCast.com. And if you liked this episode, become a patron so we can create more content you love. Visit Patreon.com slash ControlClickCast. We can also use your reviews on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts or both. Links are on our site. Don't forget to tune in to our next episode when Leah and I will dive back into responsive retrofits again and share our experience updating controlclickcast.com for a mobile experience. Be sure to check out controlclickcast.com slash upcoming for more upcoming topics. This is Leah Alcantara and Emily Lewis signing off for Control Clickcast. See you next time. Cheers. <laughs>